Praise you, Jesus. Help me there. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? (laughs) The only one that's saying no must be able to hear me. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. Shut the door and pour. It's the title of this message this morning. Shut the door and pour. 2 Kings. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just want to be so thankful for uh, the reminder this morning that you're the one that carries us, Lord. You're the one who gives us the strength that we need. And Lord, whatever we give back to you, Jesus, is just from the grace of what you've done for us. And so, Jesus, thank you for the reminder of the, and the revelation of that throughout our days and weeks Lord, that there's a never-ending supply from heaven and that you are that supply. And that, Lord, as you said to the Samaritan woman, you said if you had known who it is that asks of you to give him water, that you would have asked of him and he would have given you that living water. But, Lord, that's always available to us for your purpose, for your will to be accomplished. And so, Lord, we realize how frail we are. We know that, Lord, in these human bodies, these limited frames, that there's almost nothing that we could give to you, Lord, of worth, unless, Jesus, that you had said that it was of value. Lord, unless you had anointed it, unless you poured your spirit upon us in some way, Lord, and redeemed us. Lord, we're a fallen race without the provisions of your grace. And so, Jesus, thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Thank you for the reminder and the power and the revelation of that in our lives. Jesus, we come hungry. I come hungry and thirsty for more of you, Jesus. Lord, I'm so thankful that I can gather here with brothers and sisters of like precious faith. Lord, who have been throughout their week spending time with you. Lord, learning from you. For you said that you are meek and lowly. And so to learn of you, for you are the one, Lord, that we need to hear from today. And I want to praise you for that, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this message. I pray that it would encourage those, Lord, who may find a point point of discouragement, wondering about, Lord, what are you doing in these circumstances and situations within their life? I want to praise you, Lord, that you're raising up a church for your namesake. And that Jesus, out of this, Lord, we may feel like there's an obscurity for a moment. Lord, there may be weeping for a time, but Lord, there's joy that comes in the morning. And I want to praise you for the realization of that right now, in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 2 Kings chapter 4. This story is, I'm just going to give a paraphrase of it, and then I'm going to go through some of the scriptures. But the story is about the widow woman who had lost her husband, and he was a prophet. And she's now in debt, and she has, she's sold everything that she has. There isn't anything left in her home, and we know that because the prophet asks her, he says, what do you have in your home? And she says, I have nothing except for a pot of oil. 
So she's sold everything that she has, and yet she says to the prophet, she says to him, you know that my husband <clears throat> that had died, you know that he feared God. And so this is not <clears throat> a picture of a, somebody who's lost and doesn't know the Lord. This is a picture of a family who would serve the Lord and yet fallen into hard times. And she, she speaks to the man of God who was Elisha at the time, and he says to her, uh, what would you have me to do? And she says to him, um, <clears throat> oh, no, no, He's, he asks her, he says, uh, yes, he does. In verse 2, And Elisha said unto her, what shall I do for you? And then he says to her, without even an answer yet, he says, what do you have in your house? And then she shares, I have nothing in my home. All I have is a pot of oil. And then he tells her to, what to do with that. And he says, I want you to go borrow from all of your neighbors and as many as you can and find empty vessels. And when you've borrowed as many as you can and you've come up with as... Uh, and there's no number there. He doesn't give her a number to whatever to do, but empty vessels. And then I want you to go in and I want uh, you to shut the door and I want to do a miracle is basically what God was doing in that time. And so... There was some things in this story that really stood out to me when I was reading it and I was thinking about what is it that God is calling us to? And I can't seem to get out from under it no matter how many times I get up here to share, no matter what I say, I still feel like the Lord is not calling the mighty. The Lord is not calling those who feel like they have strength. The Lord is not calling the great. He's calling the average, the normal, you and me, and every one of us in our shape and frame, and we may say, I'm limited. And I wonder if the reality is, is that in the reality of our limitedness, God wants to do more than what we realize. And it's actually within those limitations that the Lord does what He does. And I, I was reading this story, and the first part of it really captured me. I spent most of my time looking at this first verse because I had <clears throat> thought about how many of us want to escape this. We want to get out from under the struggle, the feeling of insecurity, the weakness that we find in ourselves. And here she is in the most vulnerable spot. And I, I, what I see here is God, in all of His wisdom, is as providential and is just as much at work in this first verse as He is anything else that proceeds from it. And if we don't catch that part of it, in our lives, we're going to always feel the insecurity of the struggles around us, not realizing that the Lord works through those scenarios and circumstances within, those li within our lives. And so I want you to turn with me real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 2. I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 8. At least somebody wasn't else besides me giving the announcement on that one. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to read for, through verses 2 through 14. And all the commandments, sorry, in verse 2. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or no. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you knew not, neither did your fathers know, 
that he might make you know that the man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord does a man live. And your clothes did not wax old on you, neither did your foot swell these forty years. You shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks, of waters, and fountains, and depths of a spring out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. And when you have eaten and are full, and shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he gives to you, beware that you forget not the Lord your God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built goodly homes and dwelt therein, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt into the house, from the house of bondage. <clears throat> the Lord begins in this portion saying that I allowed you, I suffered you to hunger. I suffered, I allowed you to suffer, as it were, for a purpose, for a design. And I'm all too afraid of what the human heart will do without humbling. Even the redeemed heart constantly needs the humility of Christ to be able to move forward in the kingdom of God. And so when we read this first part of, in the first verse of this woman, she cried, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take to him my two sons to be bondmen. And my thought was, I wonder what the state of her mind was in this moment. Was she discouraged? Was she overwhelmed? Did she lose sight of the fact that the Lord, in all of his power and all of his strength, was still able to keep her? Was keeping her in the moment of sorrow? Was furnishing for her the needs of the moment? and that he was doing a deeper inner work than what she had realized? Was she able to focus on the Lord, or was she focused on the circumstance or the suffering of her present time? And when we look at this, we're like, can it get any worse? And then Elisha said to her in verse 2, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, Your handmaid has not anything in the house save a pot of oil. You know, the Apostle Paul uses the word nothing to describe his life too. Having yet nothing and yet possessing all things. Being poor yet making many rich. There's this, I don't have any sufficiency in myself. All my strength is drawn out. But my sufficiency is elsewhere. My strength is somewhere else. And there's a blessing in nothingness. And I think sometimes we miss that. Is God has given us through His Word 
and through his encouragement a nothingness so that we will seek the right thing. A sense of there's no value in the world around me. There's no value in my own strengths. There's no value in the person that I am. Of myself, I am nothing. But there is value in something else. And that's where God is pointing it to. And so what happens, I think, even, and I recognize this in my life, as much as I want to pray, Lord, please don't lead me in the path of humility. Don't lead me down the path of struggle or insecurity or whatever it might be, because that's hard. But if I'm really going to see Christ for who He is, and He's my all-sufficient, full provision, and in Him I have all things that I need, then I can't see it elsewhere. I can't trust in it somewhere else. Something else can't be partially uh, the strength of my life. And so over and over again, you see this throughout the Word of God, is the Lord His <clears throat> reduced men and women uh, to nothingness, to elevate and to bring out His glory through it. When you read of the barren women of the Bible, Hannah was one of those that I love because she fits the description of this woman in, in a certain way. And hers was not the loss of a husband or the loss of property, but hers was that she couldn't have a son. She couldn't have any children. And out of that, you hear in the Word of God, it said that she wept before the Lord. And she poured out her soul unto God. And so you see that Rachel in the same predicament and she looks at Jacob and she says, give me children or I die. There's this desperation. There's this burning that there's got to be a blessing somewhere behind this. And I think that sometimes if we fail to realize our blessing is not in the provision of food and home and livelihood, but our blessing is, is that Jesus is our blessing. I love how it says it in the Old Testament that to the Levites, that he said, I will be your portion. I will be your blessing. That it won't be lands and homes and these things. That I will be your blessing and you will minister to me. And I hope that this is the way that we as Christians feel today. Is that the Lord is my blessing. And that in these moments, I wonder that she didn't feel poverty stricken. And she didn't feel destroyed in the moment. But she did realize, Lord, unless you do something in this moment, it is going to come to naught. There's this place that the Lord doesn't lead you to absolutely nothing and they'll leave you there. But there's this reality is, is that you're wanting a transition point in life. And so here we are moving forward. And she says, I have nothing but a pot of oil. And I'm thankful that it seems like there's a point in which I think God draws us to over and over again to continue to elevate Christ in our life is that there isn't anything else that I look to except to Him. There's only one thing in this house. There's only one thing in my life that I can trust in and that I can hope in. And everything else is gone. I've sold it all. There's, I've sold out everything in all other hopes and other joys in my life. And in these moments, <clears throat> it's important for us to capture Him, to capture His heart, when it seems like there is nothing. And I see a lot of people struggle through those nothing moments and those feelings of uh, having nothing. And it's almost like they never realize that they possess all things in that moment. I might not have uh, the riches of the world, but why would I want them? When the most precious thing to you is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, 
What else matters to you? What else do you seek after? What else do you joy in? And so for me, I think one of the most poverty-stricken things that we've ever faced in this nation is prosperity preaching. What I mean by that is, is that we've replaced the gospel. We've placed, replaced the power in the blood of Jesus to wash away the sins, the sins of our life and make us clean before Him for money, for things. And when we found out that He's the most precious thing on earth, there isn't anything in those things. I like the words of, the, um, of Peter when he said, Silver and gold have I none. I don't think he was lying. I don't think he was kidding about that. I think he really didn't have anything else. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. I wonder if one of the things that's killing us today is that we have too much provision. In Revelation it said that you say uh, you're in naked and you're rich and increased in goods and in need of nothing, but I say unto you, you're naked and blind and wretched. That you actually your strength is in this nothingness. Again, to the Apostle Paul, he said that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God is offering us a weakness, but He's offering us His strength within that. And then he said, go borrow vessels abroad of all your neighbors. And I got to thinking about this because not only did he say go borrow in, a, in your time of need, go borrow, but is how he said go borrow. And the obscurity of this whole thought is I, I want you to go borrow empty vessels from everybody that you can. And you're going to lay no burden on anybody's shoulders in your time of need. This is amazing to me that you're going to walk out in absolute integrity, the heart and will of God, even in your time of need. And you're not going to be taking from people. You're not stealing. So when he says you're borrowing, you're going to be giving it back. That's number one. And you're taking from, you're not taking from any of their own needs. So here she is borrowing these empty vessels. <clears throat> and I thought every neighbor that she goes to is going to be a fresh testimony. Because every one of them are going to look at, and I wonder if there were neighbors like that have probably your heart and my heart and would say, no, you can't take my empty jar. I want you to have my full one. I have some provision, and I want you to have some provision also. And I would imagine that she's probably thinking, it's not what I was told to do. I'm told to go get empty jars. And I'm not taking from anything from your home except for what the Lord said for me to take. And it was an empty vessel that she was... She was taking, and every one of these neighbors is going to be a witness to the testimony of what the Lord is going to do in her life. Because they know that if she comes back with full vessels, that this has got to be his testimony. And it's also a place of humility. What I see in the story of the widow woman is I see humility and hiddenness. Just utter humility and utter hiddenness. Everything that the Lord was requiring for her to do was either an act of humility or was something that had to be hidden. But it wasn't bringing her out. It wasn't making her a showpiece. It wasn't making everybody see her. And I think it's remarkable because as we think of Jesus and how he lived, he was the same way. And whenever he did reveal himself and show himself in any way, he showed himself not to be showy 
not to be flashy, just to reveal who he was. So go, go borrow of you vessels abroad of all your neighbors, even empty vessels, and borrow not a few. <clears throat> and I think what the Lord wants to do is, is that he wants to reveal the testimony of his strength. He wants to reveal the testimony of his fortitude in our hearts. Um, give me one second here. So I wanted, I highlighted this thought in my notes. Humility still has integrity. And that's where he says, go borrow uh, abroad of all your neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And the reason why I want to highlight that thought is because integrity keeps what God does in high honor. The reason why today uh, that we see a lot of things being uh, people rejecting what's supposed to be done in, in our culture, even in our Western culture, is because there's a loss of integrity. Integrity is being broken down behind what people are doing. And so we see a showiness in our evangelism today. We see a showiness in men that are supposed to be men of God. And yet there's so little that represents what Jesus actually looked like. I'm overwhelmed when I read the Bible and I see what Jesus lived out and I see what we practice. Jesus told his disciples, the Son of Man, the greatest man that you'll ever see on the face of this earth, lives in obscurity. He has nowhere to lay his head. He has no home. He's not preaching. Jesus is not giving what he gives for his own gain. When you see the life of Christ, Jesus was living a life of borrowing empty vessels. A life of integrity behind the gospel. I worked with one, one man that I worked with. One thing that he said, and he's an atheist, but he said he, he believes that Jesus was real. He just doesn't believe that he was God. But he said the one thing about the miracles of Jesus, and, and he knew, knew enough about the Bible to know this, was that Jesus didn't feed off of it. There wasn't a miracle that Jesus did that he fed off of. And yet we've got multi-million dollar ministries right now that are feeding off of the gospel. It isn't promoted, it feeds off of it. And so, and I read this story and I'm like, this is why the church needs to be bathed with humility. It needs to be blessed with humility. And the power of God born out of humility. Peter's words struck me months ago when he said, after the man, the lame man was healed at the gate beautiful. And they come storming to Peter and they're looking at Peter like there's something impressive about Peter. And Peter holds on to that humility with the power of God. And he said, it's not by our own power or our own holiness that this man stands here before you hold. But it's because of his faith in Jesus Christ that this miracle has been done. And you see that whenever God, Jesus did something or any time his disciples did something, it always promoted the gospel. 
It always promoted the glory of God. And so I'm asking the Lord, am I promoting your glory in my life? Am I living for one cause and one cause only? Or is there something else that has my heart? Some other motive. I want promoted. I want known. I want recognized. What is it? And so you see this, that the Lord is not shattering shattering her. He's not breaking her. He's just humbling her. Because He has something very special that He's wanting to do. And uh, there's... A while back I had written about Isaiah 55 and it says, Come without money and without price and, and, and receive. And that word without stuck out to me. And I thought that's interesting that he says, come without and, and buy. You know, you're going to buy and you don't have anything. I just thought the thought of that, and it was like emptiness. Without, you come with nothing and you come empty. And the Lord showed me in that that when you come empty, emptiness in you is a virtue for your unworthiness. And what it has in it is a virtue that does not destroy the gifts of love or manipulate God's blessings to self-serving ends. And that's what it was we as humans need. Lord, I want to be able to take what God gives and not use it to another self-serving end. And I want it to be used for the fullness and the promotion of your glory. Isn't that your heart this morning? Isn't that where you feel like you are with Jesus? That Lord, whatever you do, whenever you do it, Lord, the last thing I want is that somebody be looking at this as Uh, having anything to do with something other than your glory. This isn't about self-magnification at all. And this, this miracle that He does, and I love how God does miracles and manifests Himself into our life because the way that He does it is to bring the ultimate glory to Himself and to satisfy the deepest need in the human heart. There isn't any greater need and He satisfies your need but he doesn't promote selfishness in you while he does it. And in James, he says, when we pray that we have not because we ask not, and when we ask, we ask amiss that we may consume upon our own lusts. And so there's just this calling out of what is the thing that I'm trying to use God for and moving forward out of the humanism of trying to use God and moving forward into the Christianity that's there to glorify God. So I feel like when I read that word and she was to borrow and she was to borrow empty vessels, I see a paradox in it. I see all over the scripture paradoxes that the Lord says in order to live, you must die. In order to uh, be full, you must be empty. There's the, oh, you see the paradoxes through scripture and here it is, an empty vessel is a paradox. And I think most of us, that's where it struggled to have faith in God because why, Lord, do I have to believe in something that looks like it's impossible? Because you have to put your faith and trust in Him. And if we were honest, it would be nice to have a blessing without emptying. And true security is not in what we see. And so uh, the security is that there was... I get the sense that she had a faith the whole time that she hadn't had a faith that was diminished between the verses 1 all the way to the end of verse 7. 
Now to verse 4. And when you, when you are come, you shall shut the door upon you and your sons and shall pour out into all those vessels and you shall set aside that which is full. And in verse 5, So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read Scripture, I read there's certain parts of it that stand out to me. And this one is that she poured out. And I see two things happening. There's two places in the Bible that I read of being uh, outpouring or pouring out. The one is that, as I shared with Hannah, that she poured out her soul unto the Lord. The other is that the Lord poured out His Spirit. And you see both of these happening here. She's doing a pouring. She's pouring out, and the Lord is pouring in. Because the only one that can create this extension of this oil that will continue to flow unendingly is God Himself. And so the Lord is the one doing it. And I think that it's interesting that He says, I want you to shut the door. And it reminded me of the Scripture where Jesus said, Go into your closet and pray in secret, and your Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. There's this protection that God is doing. I'm protecting what I'm doing, and I'm making sure there's a border of guarding it of humility the whole time I'm doing that within you. And so that as God begins to promote himself through what he does in an unselfish way, but in a very holy way, he guards it with integrity. And so he says, shut the door. And the reason why Jesus said that originally was because the Pharisees and Sadducees, that they were doing everything for to be seen of men. Their whole focus was to get recognition for it. And so Jesus was telling them, in order for you to truly obtain the blessing of God, you're going to have to do things in secret. Nobody's going to get to see. This is going to be anonymous between you and me. And then I'll do what I want to do in your life. And, and there's this all this throughout Scripture. You'll see God hiding man so that he can reveal himself. And so she goes in and shuts the door. And then she begins to pour. And I'm so thankful that there's a pouring out of ourselves and there's a pouring in of God. And they, I think they happen simultaneously. And there's this thing that God does as, he, as we pour ourselves out to Him. And I love uh, the way the Scripture gives that. And I just pray for this in our lives as we um, want to see the Lord glorified more in us. Lord, help me be poured out. Paul talked about being spent, spent and being spent for those who are around him just giving himself selflessly to God, wholly and fully to the Lord. And um, so she shuts the door and then she begins to pour into these vessels. And one thing that I noticed here was that as it says in verse 5, maybe it's verse 6, verse 6, and it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. The oil stopped at that moment. But what I realized is this isn't because the resources of God had come to their end. It's because there was no more empty vessels to be poured in. And we will always come to an end to the vessel before we'll come to an end to the sufficiency of God. And I'm thankful for those words. that were Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of Him who provides all things. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. These scriptures just pointing to the fact that there's always a supply. I love that scripture that it says, grace may abound, but where sins abound, grace is much more abound. 
There's always more. There's a supply in God in these moments. And what I see here is this. I see a widow woman that has nothing else in her life but to rely on God. And she goes in that secret place and she prays. And she prays with all of her might. She prays with all of her heart. She prays with everything within her because her whole heart is connected with God. And her most intimate moment is this moment right here. This is the moment of intimacy. This is the moment of proving for Christians and brothers and sisters and those who love God. When we close the door, when we get into that place, we're in the secret place with God. And we're praying to Him and seeking His face and drawing near to Him out of a place of nothingness in ourselves, but seeing all sufficiency in Him. This is the moment God proves Himself in our life. This is the moment we see God do what only He can do in us. And we see, Lord, You do mighty things through weak men. You do mighty things through those who have nothing. And that's the way you prove yourself. That's the way you show yourself. I don't need to be a mighty evangelist on television for God to prove Himself. I don't need riches backing me. I don't need men promoting me. I just need Jesus Christ. In this moment, I need Him. And I think that's this point in her life. And that's what God's trying to show us. Shut the door. Shut the door. Get every other voice out of your life. Get every other person that's there trying to distract you. All other voices, even your own. And shut the door. And find a place alone with God. And in that desperate moment, when there's no other hope, find your closeness to Jesus. Yield to Him and surrender to Him. And the power of this is, is that God pours out. He does a miracle within that human heart. And I'm so thankful that He does. You know, I know, where would we be today? Where would we be today if Jesus didn't get poured out into us? If we didn't get the pouring and the outpouring of a redemptive work of God in our life? If the Lord hadn't brought us from death to life, from darkness to light, where would we be today? Where would we be? So Lord, You've redeemed me. You've washed me. You've cleansed me. And by miracle force, You've redeemed me by the power of Jesus Christ. Thank You, God, for what You've done. And so this is the announcement to Christians. This is an announcement to this nation. Shut the door. America, shut the door and pray. Shut the door and get in with God. Lose all other focus. Lose the focus of the the economy and everything else around us. Lose the political focus and focus on Jesus Christ. Or it's all coming down. One day it's going to come down if we don't get our hearts in the central focus. And you see it all the way through the Old Testament prophets. And when God was speaking to them, He told them, you got one direction. And the focus of trying to restore the economy is not trying to find jobs from the poor. It's getting the sin out of the nation. It's breaking the darkness over the lives of people who, as the Scripture says, have hewn out cisterns that hold no water and have forgotten me days without number. A nation that's forgotten God. Christians that are getting cold in their relationship with the Lord because the heat of love and the heat of a devotion to Him and Him only is kind of lost in all the flow and all these other things and it just gets right back down to the basics. So I'm thankful this is that she poured out and it came to pass. Actually, I want to go, the oil stayed, so this resource of God is always there. In verse 7, and then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil. Pay the debt and live, you and your children, of the rest. You know, that's what I'm thankful for when Jesus gets into us. 
It's the, the hum, when we begin to see the full picture of why it's such a joy and a jewel to be in, invested in the call of God to humility is because in the outcome of it, that this is going to be something that's going to breed life. It's going to pay the debt and it's going to give life. Nothing else does. We begin to try and mold Jesus into some other shape or some other form of American gospel ideas and we begin to mold Him and shape Him to our views and our ideas and make Jesus look like the prosperous Jesus. And we do those kinds of things and we don't get life out of it. The only one who's prospering is the guy who's up front. Everybody else is suffering as a result of it. But when Jesus does something, He prospers everybody in the midst of it. And I love the miracles Jesus did. It says He healed them all. He healed them all. But the the thing I want to remember here is, is that it cancels the debt and it gives life for you and your children and the rest. And it reminded me of the story of the, the Samaritan woman who had said, uh, he told her that if you'd known who it is that asks of you, you would ask of him and he would have given you living water. Living water. And Jesus said that it will be in you like a well springing up into everlasting life. So I'm excited that as I, I feel like this, am I sharing this message, I hear the call of God to shut the door, to pray, let the Lord pour into your life. Because there's a barrenness that happens in, in lives. There's, there's things that, you know, as I pray about it, I'm like, Lord, I want to pray for a miracle in every situation. I want to pray that the dead are raised and the sick are healed. And I want to pray that in every situation that all, everybody gets a miracle in all of that. But when I begin to realize that the greatest miracle is this, is the power of Jesus no matter what you see. And so when we pray, do we pray, Lord, your will be done, and we're holding on to Him the whole time, no matter what's happening. And what I've realized is this. Some people, this is a reality, some of us will grow closer to God without a miracle than we will if we got one. Some people are so self-centered that if they got the miracle in their condition, they would go further away from God. They need this humility. They need a brokenness in their life so that they carry this, this precious jewel, whatever God does. They carry it with integrity. They honor God with it. And so there's times I, I, I realize that when we surrender to Jesus, what we're really saying is, the outcome belongs to you. I'm willing to believe for the miracle that you speak to my heart. But I'm not going to demand that you give me something besides that. Lord, you have to do this. And what I've seen is people in their hardships grow because they have a relationship with Jesus. And it amazes me because we have today people using the word and it's become a cliche. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And I believe that. But I don't believe in the cliche. I believe that for so many of us, that's still not defined. Is what does it mean to have a relationship with God? What does it mean to have the center focus of Jesus as primary to everything in my life? And so there's a missingness to this relationship. And so what you see is people faltering because when the outward circumstances of their life begin to shift and now they're feeling like they're tossed with financial tossing or my emotions are stirred over struggles and I don't know what to do about that. 
There's situations with people in my life that I can't control and I want to see act out in godly ways, but they won't do it. And there's things that happen. I'm just trying to say all there is is there's just things going on in people's lives. And we look so oppressed because it looks to me like unless the circumstance changes, they'll never be happy. There'll never be a fulfillment unless the outward thing changes. But I love the words of the apostle that said, though this outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. There's a strength in God that furnished me. And that <clears throat> this kind of language from the scripture that gives us the idea that I, I, I'm ready to, to live as Christ and to die as gain. I have nothing else to live for but for him and for the prosperity of those who love Him. All to but prosper, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that they can love Him fully. They can love Him completely. And there's nothing else invading or being the destroyer to that or adulterating their love for God. And if you can be that person, then the Lord can bless you with anything. And you'll be able to live sustained and strengthened, and it will be life to you. <clears throat> And I'm so grateful that it talks about that it paid the debt. It paid the debt. You know, here we have the communion elements in front of us, and we're wanting to reflect individually on the, the debt that the Lord has paid. And I was sharing with my kids the other day, you know, if we had just sinned one time, just one sin, even one what we'd call a little sin, it accumulated a debt. that There was nothing else that could pay for it but the blood of Jesus. Nothing else could pay for just one sin and then stack every one of them on top of that and think if it were, if we begin to compare it and say it was like a debt of a million dollars. The moment I first sinned, I accumulated a debt of a million dollars and most of us would say that would take me my life to pay off. What if it was, caught, it was a billion dollars, a trillion dollars, and really we can put no amount on it. And, and then when we think about that, then when I sinned a second time, I just doubled that and tripled that. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reality is, is that there was only one that could pay my debt. And there was only one that could pay your debt. And I'm thankful that when we read the Word of God, that we don't want to ever minimize the debt that God has paid. And I don't even have to think about the sins that I've committed against myself or other people. It's just the fact that I didn't believe in Jesus Christ at one point in my life and that He was the one that furnished that. Thinking about where my life really ultimately was headed without the payment of a debt. And He doesn't just pay the debt, but He furnishes what the fullness of life goes forward. And what I say is that some people have felt forgiven of sin. They felt like Jesus did something that only He could do to forgive me of all the past sins that I've committed. And, and I love the song that says, there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains. Every single one of them is lost. Every one of them is gone. I don't have to carry one more of them anymore. What an inspiration. What a blessing to know that the sin is gone, the guilt is gone. And one more thing that He does he regenerates the life. He gives you newness of life. He takes the old things and they pass away and He makes all things new. He takes you from the kingdom of darkness and brings you into the kingdom of His dear Son. He does all these things and He puts life inside of you and gives you a new heart so that you can go forward and live for Him with everything within you. 
And the one you're sold out for is Him. And He's your chief love. And here He is giving us redemption. And He's given us regeneration. All because of what He's done. And I'm thankful that I believe that the oil, a lot of people will say that it represents the Holy Spirit. To me, it represents the Gospel. It represents what Jesus Christ has done for us. Praise God. I'm done being long-winded at the moment. I'm just thankful for what the Lord has done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. Let's pray. Let's pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I'm thankful, Lord, at this moment, Jesus, for my unsaved loved ones that I care deeply about, that I know, Lord, their eternity is at stake. And, Lord, I don't have any assurance that they're going to live one more day. But I can shut the door. And, Lord, everyone in this place can shut the door and we can begin to pour. Lord, we can pour out our hearts to you and know, Lord Jesus, that everything that we cry out to you in, that you will be faithful to minister to us in. And so, Jesus, I want to thank you for that today. Lord, there's so many things right now. Lord, there's so many hearts here, so many people, Lord, that are hungry for you. And, Jesus, I just want to do my very best to represent the God that's given me life, the one who gives me hope, in, even in my moments of struggle. And so, Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the, the hope that's here. Thank you for the lives that are redeemed in this place. Thank you for those, Lord, right here in this sanctuary that can truly say that my life is not my own, but it belongs to Him. He has redeemed me. He has washed me. He showed Himself mighty by uh, bringing me out of the guilt of sin and in the power of His grace. Thank you, Lord, for what I see in the miracles in this, in this sanctuary. And God, because this is the name of Jesus written on each one of their lives, each one of their faces, what a beauty it is. What an honor it is, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Hallelujah. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. I'd like for the worship team to come up, worship leaders. You guys are all the worship team.